What are you looking to accomplish when it comes to nerd media in the year of our Lord 2024? On today's Byword, we share our nerd year's resolutions. Welcome to episode 176 of the Nerd By Word, the podcast where we actually embrace new media and new voices being represented instead of blaming others for our own lives, shortcomings, and foolish choices. On today's show, we will share our list of things that we hope to accomplish in the year to come. And this is not the list of lame, half-hearted promises you give because your office assistant, Nancy, needs bulletin board material. But before we share our nerd year's resolutions, it's time once again for... Nerd News! Dave, what say you? Yeah, so in the category of... I wished would have existed when I was 10. Thanks a lot, Nintendo, for coming so late to the party again. Uh, Apparently, uh, Nintendo is now emboldened a little bit uh, when it comes to um, adaptations of their properties again, uh, considering the runaway success of the Super Mario Brothers animated feature. And so it's now been announced, and, and I really can't believe this is the world we live in, that there will be a live action Zelda movie. Uh, it's absolutely bonkers to consider that this is what's coming at us um, as a lifelong fan of the Zelda franchise. It, it just kind of blows my mind that this is actually happening. Um, and it, there's you know, not a whole lot known at this point other than Nintendo is uh, co-financing the movie with uh, Sony Pictures Entertainment. Um, I think about 50% of the financing is coming from Nintendo, so they're going to be exerting some control here. Uh, They have announced both a writer and director for the movie. The director currently is uh, Wes Ball, who um, is probably most famous at this point for directing the Maze Runner trilogy and the upcoming uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Um, So uh, as somebody who's not like really deep into like the young adult uh, movie adaptation stuff. I haven't really, I think I watched like the first Maze Runner movie back in 2014 and that was about it. Um, Ryder is supposed to be uh, Derek Connolly, which is uh, interesting uh, in, in several different ways. So Connolly has some interesting writing credits, including Kong Skull Island, which I thought was a really, really fun movie with a couple of missteps kept in the back of your mind, as well as the, as well as the Detective Pikachu movie, which, uh, I, I thought it was really, really enjoyable. Uh, and as somebody who's not super deep into the whole Pokemon thing, I thought it worked really well. But then Connolly also uh, wrote screenplays for all three movies into the Jurassic World trilogy, which was a perfect example of diminishing returns. Uh, the first one being a nice sort of callback to the original Jurassic Park. And then the movies just kept getting progressively weirder and, and stranger and, and less enjoyable, at least in my book. Um, and also apparently worked on the initial draft of what would become Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker that 
uh, leak that you and I have talked about before, Duel of the Fates, is actually the draft that Connolly wrote, which had a lot of interesting ideas in it at the very least. So interesting situation as far as the creatives involved. Uh, from what we're hearing uh, online, Shigeru Miyamoto is going to be uh, consulting on the movie to try to keep this thing at least somewhat in line with the kind of representation that uh, Nintendo wants for its properties. There's no casting yet. There's no release date yet. We have a director and a writer and basically a promise that Nintendo is going to do the best they can to make sure this is in line with you know what they want Zelda to look like on the big screen. Which, you know, on the one hand... It could be a total mess. Uh, it's not the wouldn't be the first time that uh, a Nintendo adaptation totally pooped a bed. I'm looking at you live action Super Mario Brothers movie from back in the day. What a weird, weird, weird movie, man! So strange. I still have, I still have nightmares. I had nightmares as a kid from that movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, on the flip side, if if you know, look at the, what they did with the Super Mario Brothers movie, which I thought was a decent representation of the franchise as a movie, I, ha- I have some hope that this could actually work. At the very least, um, as I said at at the top of this, I would have loved to have seen a live action Legend of Zelda movie when I was a kid. Like this would have just been completely one of the most mind blowing moments of my life as a child. So it's going to be very very interesting to see what they do with this in live action. And and as we were talking before we hit record, Dave, it's going to be interesting to see how they do this because Link, famously, is a man of few words. So how are they going to have him be the 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 protagonist of the of the film? You know, potentially and uh few few words? What do you mean? He <laughs> says Hiya and Yeah I mean, those are very, very important words. I mean, he has a, he's very expressive. Don't forget, huh? <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a personal favorite for sure. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting to see. Um, I, I saw a Variety article, um, which Variety, I could take or leave um, with their hit pieces on Nia DaCosta and the Marvels, but um, about how they are differentiating themselves from the Lord of the Rings. This is not going to be that. Well, good, it shouldn't be. I mean, yeah. just because something is in a fantasy world doesn't mean it has to look like Lord of the Rings. I think I understand the influential nature of Lord of the Rings, um, but I think if everything is always going to be in the same mold, you're, you're doing the fantasy genre a disservice. And I will say that a lot of fantasy adaptations try to look a little bit Lord of the Rings-ish. I mean, I'm even looking at something like uh, Game of Thrones, you know, it even has like similar color palettes and the like from what you see in in, in the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, I, I think a Zelda movie just by just visually needs to be a lot more colorful than what we're used to from from fantasy movies anymore. You know, there needs to be a lot of a lot of color. I think um, a lot of a lot of brightness, like the the forest greens, really deep. You know, that sort of stuff. Not this muddied brown tone, gray tone thing that they have going on in a lot of fantasy movies. Even just doing that would visually uh, differentiate it. But yeah, I think I think fantasy as as a genre on the big screen needs to definitely step out of the shadow of Lord of the Rings a little bit, especially visually. I think this is going to be fascinating um, to watch this develop. And if they do this right, I think it could be money. Um, at first glance, I'm like, can't we just make an animated film? Like, I'm, I'm always a proponent for we don't need everything to be in live action. Um, but at the same time, I feel like they can pull this off. Like, I'm thinking of something like The Witcher 
of where they have like these dark and evil forces. And if you can manifest that with, with something like the legend of Zelda of the contrast between the kind of dreamscape that can be elements of Hyrule that you see in something like breath of the wild. Um, and then to contrast that with the darkness and the corruption and, you know, all those forces of Ganon and, and everything. I think that would be fascinating to see play out on the big screen. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I, um, I'm very, very interested even like with what tone or game they're going to use as a jumping off point because there's been so many different versions mm-hmm. and interpretations of Zelda. And although the Or is it going to be completely original? I've heard speculation it might be an original story too. Um, I, I think if you're going for like the very like nature bound vibes of something like Breath of the Tears of the Kingdom, you know that that whole world mm-hmm. uh, that would make sense because it's the most recent and most and one of the more successful it's the iterations most, of probably, Zelda. Probably the most cinematic. I would I would wager. I think it's arguable though that it's uh, really uh, Ocarina of Time that's probably the most recognizable. Uh, as far as like the Zelda interpretations uh, in a lot of ways, and also probably the one with like the easiest blueprint for a story to follow, because it's in a lot of ways, um, you know, the, the f- one of the first iterations of Ganon, you get to see him as like a normal human with like wizard powers, Ganondorf, and, and you know, you, you have sort of a setup that lends itself, I think, probably more to character development than than the Breath of the Wild interpretation. I think there's a lot of like character development already there built into the whole like uh, Ocarina of Time framework. And I think it's probably fair to say a lot of fans would be looking for uh, an Ocarina style um, movie as far as like visually and the like. I think that's probably, unless they're going like fully original, that's probably where it's at as far as like the thing that fans of the franchise would probably most like to see. Listen, I'm 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 just more on this uh, in in uh, our main segment today, but like they're gonna have to work hard for me to not love this. I'm I'm just so head over heels with this property that you'd have to you'd have to try to mess this up. Yeah, totally agreed, man. All right, what do you have in the news department? I feel like we're still video game adjacent here. Yeah, so the Video Game Awards, uh, as of the time of recording, just happened a few days ago. And one of the oh-my-God moments was um, the reveal that uh, Bethesda is making a Blade video game. Uh, Arcane Leon who was the developer behind 2021's Deathloop, which I played for a little bit on Game Pass, and I really, it was pretty cool. I just got distracted and went on to something else. Um, They're making a Blade game. It's a, quote, mature single-player third-person game set in the heart of Paris, end quote. Uh, They dropped a 1 minute and 23 second teaser in every sense of the word, very much a teaser. Uh, You have Blade... Uh, getting a nice close shave in a barber shop. Uh, the barber is kind of cutting himself on the blade and is a little bit nervous. And then you have this announcement of of quarantine in Paris. Um, and I'm reading uh, the synopsis here. Quote, Marvel's Blade uh, game will take players to a quarantine section of Paris in the middle of a supernatural emergency. 
Vampires have emerged, terrorizing the City of Lights and forcing Parisians to shelter inside their homes at night to wait for sunrise. End quote. So uh, this is a follow-up for Arcane Studios, at least, to in, in the realm of vampires with Redfall, which was much maligned upon release, but I have revisited and deeply enjoy. Had a great time playing it. Um, it's not what I expected it to be, but it's fun nonetheless. Um, but this is really, really interesting because there are some rumblings online because it's made by Bethesda that some Sony snobs <laughs> are worried that it might be Xbox exclusive, which has absolutely no grounding in reality or anything like that. But uh, it's kind of funny that some people who touted the exclusives of Sony are kind of scared that the the shoe might be on the other foot here. Um, but regardless of any of that, I'm very, very excited to this uh, for this. And then the, the timing of this is pretty incredible too with, with uh, the MCU blade getting set to return. Um, that is as of now scheduled for November of 2025. But uh, this also reminds me that I really love that first issue by Brian Hill and I desperately need to get caught back up. So Blade's a weird property for me because on the one hand, uh, you know, it should be clicking with me all over the place because it's definitely up my alley. Supernatural stuff, horror, tinged elements, vampires, whole nine yards. But am I the only one who feels like Blade has never been like a huge priority for for Marvel? Like, if you think about how few actual like Blade solo issues there have been for Marvel Comics, it's kind of crazy, especially considering how well the the Wesley Snipes movies did. So, you know, the the game is probably not you know setting my world on fire as far as anticipation goes. But considering who's involved with the new Blade movie, that's got me psyched. Um, and I'm really hoping that a really, really strong Blade movie coming out these days will maybe light a fire under Marvel's butt to give the character maybe a little bit more appreciation, some actual, you know, character-defining seminal runs that, that you know, people who are not super well-versed in the character can really, quote-unquote, sink their teeth into. Um, so, you know... If it's a good game, I'll play it, obviously, but it being a Blade game in particular is not exactly lighting my life on fire. I just really, I, I'm, Blade, I guess, is the character that I'm waiting for somebody to give me a good reason to love, <laughs> you know? Like, I want to love this character and the setup and, and, and you know, the horror side of, of Marvel and everything, but it's not really clicked with me yet. I'm still waiting. So so here's hoping that, that something will come along to do that. I'll, I'll never forget how, like, ground shaking that first blade movie was i i don't really remember the second one i don't ever think i saw the third but that first one like that opening scene in the nightclub was just like oh my god the first movie was incredible man the problem was that as the movies came along uh, went along wesley snipe seems to have cared less and less and they got crappier and crappier <laughs> as they went and it it kind of just like taints the whole thing a little bit um which is a real shame because uh yeah, that first one was really something. All right, that wraps up Nerd News. What are your reactions to the Zelda film news and the Blade video game news? Uh, hit us up on social media at Nerd by Word. Uh, and when we come back from this, our first break, our Nerd Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to the main segment of our show. We call it our byword. And the rule of three is ever present here on the Nerd by Word. We like things in a holy trinity. So we have three things that we want to accomplish, plan to accomplish, hope to accomplish in the year 2024. Our Nerd Year's resolutions. I'm not interested in going into the gym. I don't know about you, Dave. I'm here for a good time, not for a long time. So what is first on your list for Nerd Year's resolutions for 2024? First of all, can it be a good time and a long time? <laughs> can, it, can, can, can it just be a good long time? Can it can it not be both? <laughs> um, yeah, so first on my uh, nerdier resolutions is to probably just punt back and, and, and take like a huge reading job on. Um, and that is to read all of post-crisis Superman. Now... Uh, for for those fans in the know, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths was sort of a big reset for a lot of characters at DC Comics back in the 80s. Um, and Superman sort of got relaunched with a new origin miniseries, uh, The Man of Steel. And then from there, uh, launched into basically a brand new Superman continuity, which ran all the way from, uh, you know, post-crisis to... Uh, the launch of the new 52 and arguably with the end of the new 52 uh, you could say that the post-crisis superman that particular character with that particular continuity and life experience then made a comeback Uh, so we're talking basically about the very lengthy history of the current iteration of superman i uh, jumped into superman during what is called a triangle era there were four individual superman comics being published every month one each week and they all although handled by different creative teams told one overarching mega story so it was almost like having a weekly superman book and the triangle era is probably one of the um arguably one of the longest running uh single narrative runs really considering that um you know, all these subplots kept going on, you know, in the background for Superman. Side characters were, were consistent throughout. The supporting cast was really strong. And so the Triangle era is really a, a, a unique era, I think, in Superman for how long and how consistent it was a kind of following a singular vision, even though it involved multiple creative teams. And so I, I kind of came into that during that time period. So we're talking about like the early to mid nineties uh, post death of Superman is really when I got into it. I think actually my first issue of super, reading Superman was like uh, after the crossover zero hour. Um, so not, not too long after his death, I think like 94 maybe or 95. Uh, and I, and I read Superman for a, a goodly amount of time, three, four years, pretty consistently without missing an issue. But I feel like I've missed a lot. Uh, the triangle era continued into the early two thousands. And of course I never really punted back and read the entire post crisis Superman run. And considering how much I love that particular version of the character, um, and how this is basically my childhood Superman, I feel like it might be really time for me to take this opportunity and, you know, reread the Man of Steel mini from 86, which I have read before, um, and then just launch into the actual ongoing adventures of Superman and go through the entire Triangle era and kind of work my way up till, uh, you know, 
the end, which was the, the new 52, at least until he came back during Rebirth. I, I really just think that this is probably the most recognizable and interesting version of Superman. Um, and as a huge Superman fan, I feel like it is just a massive gap in my understanding of the character that I've never sat down and just read the whole run through once. So this is going to be a, a big undertaking. The Triangle Era alone, which is not everything involved, in this read-through, is collected in three massive collections on DC Universe Infinite. Um, And so I'd have to start before that and then work my way up to the Triangle Era. And then, you know, you can imagine how many issues we're talking about here when you're talking about a weekly series for, for, you know, a good decade or so, longer, two decades almost. Um, That's that's going to be a, a massive undertaking as far as reading comic books, especially considering how much more dense the writing was uh, in the 80s at that time there's a lot more going on as far as like dialogue on the page and the like it's going to take some time but i really want to tackle this one in the new year and just get a strong complete sense of what is essentially my favorite version of superman chris so that's fascinating because like i've always i've always made the analogy of dc comics being like a foreign language but then listening to you detail that of like pre-crisis post-crisis new 52 rebirth even if we go that far that feels like oh yeah here's different dialects (laughs) like when i tell you know when i tell people that i'm fluent in spanish but then like you have 21 different spanish-speaking countries and like i i had uh someone who is from colombia that i was trying to understand and that was like one of the first time i've ever spoken to a colombian person and that was completely different than the castilian spain spanish that i grew up with in high school and college uh mexican slang is completely different and so listening to you detail all of these different iterations of one character feels very much the same um and and it and it can be daunting but like at the same time when you do like even just a google search on post-crisis superman it's easily one of the most recognizable things in superhero comics uh just those images alone and so um at the same time, and also like looking at the th- the experiences I've had with reading DC, it's almost like you take a quick trip to a country. You may not understand everything that's going on around you, but you had a great time while you were there. Yeah, I can understand that. I think some stuff going on at Marvel over the years is definitely like that to me. I think the closest equivalent is probably X-Men, a property that really truly feels like a foreign language to me as well. So. Uh, I know exactly where you're coming from. All right, Chris, so what is uh, your uh, first... what is your first nerd year resolution? And let's be clear here. I could not be happier that you've decided to take the plunge in this one. (laughs) So listen, uh, you have fashioned yourself, uh, both in real life and on social media, as a, quote, deeply religious man. Uh, And uh, one of the ways in which you are deeply religious... It, it may or may be about world major religions, perhaps, but one of those things is you are an evangelist for a lot of things. And one of those things is Toho Godzilla. And you got me, hook, line, and sinker. Um, this is largely based on um, Monarch, a previous nerd commendation, which just keeps getting better uh, with, with each episode and completely uh, has kind of taken over my fandom uh, experience and something I can't wait for the next release. And uh, 
and also today's nerd commendation still to come. But I'm I'm doing a Godzilla deep dive, man, especially with um, a platform like Pluto TV where I don't have to chase down um, ways to find something. And they have a bunch of these classic things. Um, at the very least, I'm going to watch what they have available um, and, and other streaming services as well. And, and just I'm really... I'm really kind of surprised that it took me this long being the history nerd that I am and the beautiful analogy and like historical criticism of H bomb testing and the treatment of the Japanese people post world war two. Um, the treatment of I, I like, I did a, a, a deep research dive on the bikini atoll testing and like how those, people were treated and it's just heartbreaking and terrifying. Um, and then you also, at the same time you get big monster smash. Like, so I I'm, I'm all in on Godzilla. Um, it's a great time to be a Godzilla fan, man. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm completely submerging, submerging myself in it. That's just really exciting uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong Godzilla fan. And I've, yes, you're right. Uh, although I'm not, uh, although I'm not evangelical, I seem to evangelize a lot. So I think, I think that's entertaining. Um, however, um, knowing that you're actually going to dive into the, the Toho years in particular of Godzilla is really gratifying. Um, it's a, it's a very, very strange world to get into. Um, the original Godzilla movie being exactly what you're talking about, this, 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 you know, absolutely spot on perfect, you know, allegory and, and, and getting into like, you know, the, the impact of the nuclear bomb and everything and kind of using Godzilla as a way to make a statement, but don't expect every movie from Toho to be like that because they went through the incredibly goofy phase as well. And even in those movies, I find a lot to love. So um, ha having literally watched every Toho Godzilla movie now, except for the most recent, uh, Godzilla Minus One, which I absolutely cannot wait to you know get a hold of, um, I'm, I'm just a huge fan uh, of, of kaiju movies in general, but Godzilla, <clears throat> Godzilla specifically. So uh, being able to, to you know, have somebody to talk to about some of these things and experience that uh, through your eyes a little bit as you go through it for the first time, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, Dave, your uh, second Nerd Year's resolution is something that I've spent a majority of my free time on uh, over the past couple months. Yeah, you know, I'm a big reader. I love reading books, but my schedule just does not allow it sometimes. And it's very, very frustrating. I, I do the best I can with the little time I have. But in between work and kid, uh, there isn't a lot of time for just, you know, kicking back and, and relaxing and enjoying a good book. So I've decided to <clears throat> return to um, one of my favorite things, which is Audible, and uh, use... Uh, that particular subscription once more to dive into audiobooks. Um, I've talked about, you know, on, on the podcast here before about how much I love audiobooks, particularly like the Witcher audiobooks and how spot on those performances are. Um, but I'm a pretty uh, eclectic individual when it comes to the kind of things um, that I like to read. And it's not always necessarily nerdy. There's a lot of fiction, a lot of nonfiction, a lot of stuff really all over the place just because I like to read and I like to take in information. And so I think I uh, I've recently started listening to um, to audiobooks again from Audible, and I think that this is going to probably be uh, my commute to and from work daily moving forward. Just really listening to various books and and kind of getting back into 
uh, you're just like absorbing stories. Um, I miss it a lot <laughs> because life is just way too busy sometimes. And so being able to take, you know, my commute, uh, which is, you know, significant enough, I spend almost an hour a day in my vehicle um, and just use that as a way of exploring stories again, uh, rather than just like, you know, having unkind thoughts about other people's skills at driving. Uh, I think it's going it's, it's going to maybe relax me a little bit and, and kind of open up just really absorbing cool stories again. So audiobooks are going to make a big comeback, I think. And it's very, very possible that uh, some audiobooks are going to sneak into my nerd commendations over the next year just because I'm going to be using that format probably primarily to, uh, you know, experience stories that are non-comic book you know so we'll 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 see if it works out but that is really my intention moving forward yeah like i said in in my tease is i completely taken advantage of this i took some time off after um the witcher audiobooks um your your nerd competition your very first nerd competition uh, because they were such like a masterpiece and and peter kenny as a voice actor like why are we not putting him in everything <laughs> Um, so it, it was just, I took some, I took some time and then I transitioned to the Percy Jackson series to get ready for this new series coming up and to make connections with my kids because they love that series. Um, the whole family, it, it's really an important kind of series for us. And, um, and so I, I binged, um, I, I had read or, or done the audiobook for the lightning thief, um, several years ago. Um, but I did books two through five. Um, as I said in my nerd accommodation a couple episodes ago, I, I did that all through the summer. Um, and now I'm in the second series, which I'm uh, enjoying even more so. And so there are times where I've got brand new video games that I just purchased and I'm completely ignoring them in favor of playing Mahjong on the MacBook and listening because I need to know what happens next in this story. Um, and when I, I, I had forgotten, um, you know, kind of growing up as a teenager, just how captivating a good book can be and how all encompassing and you're wanting to tell everyone that you come into contact with about it. Um, you're probably like making other people kind of weirded out because like, here comes this nerd talking about his book again. Um, but I, I, in, in the busy life, as you said, it's very similar for me. The busy life that I lead, audiobooks are the only way. The portability of it, the fact that I can, like you said, your commute, me sitting in the car pickup line waiting for the kids, um, I can get so much done. Like, it's it's incomparable. Hi, Chris. So once again, you are uh, becoming more Dave-like, diving <laughs> into another franchise that means the world to me. Um I feel like we are becoming one, Chris. Uh, if I start like deep diving the X Men, then you know that uh, dun, dun, dun. the circle is complete. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what you got? Yeah, um, it was it was a perfect news story um, for today because I'm I'm going back and doing a Zelda deep dive at the very least um, with with two games that we've talked a good deal about. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be able to get a Nintendo Switch again. I had, I had gone a couple of years without one. I've talked about it on the show before. It just stopped working. Um, and so I, I had sold it. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to get it again. And I'm just completely immersed right back into it. And um, something we've talked about on the show before as well is the extension of Nintendo Switch Online. Um 
moving into now Sega Genesis, uh, Game Boy Advance, but most importantly for me personally, the Nintendo 64 games that I never got a chance to play. Um, I had a cousin uh, in Illinois that I visited uh, once and like I did nothing on that entire week but play N64 because the first time I had ever gotten to play it. Um, and so that was like, man, I was missing out. Um, it's my greatest regret uh, as a video gamer that I never had an N64. Um, and that's no shade to my parents or anything. Like I had a Dreamcast. I was living the good life. I had, you know, every game you could want for the Dreamcast. But there was some stuff on N64 that I really, really missed. And two of those games are Legend of Zelda, uh, Ocarina of Time, and The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, uh, which doesn't get as much kind of acclaim as as its predecessor. But so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely like all in. I played Link's Awakening um, on the Switch. I played a little bit of Link to the Past, both way back on Super Nintendo and then also on um, on Switch Online as well to kind of familiarize, uh, familiarize myself with like the dungeon crawly aspects of classic Zelda games. Um, but then Breath of the Wild just was like life altering, like like the majestic, like I said, cinematic nature of that. And now playing Tears of the Kingdom, I'm just like all over the place. Like I have commitments to here. Like it's a bit jarring to go from Tears of the Kingdom, the sequel to Breath of the Wild, into something like Ocarina of Time. So I may have to like commit to one rather than jumping back and forth because it can be a bit disorienting on how different they are, but I'm, I'm absolutely here for it. I'm having um, an, a, a magical time. I don't even know what to say to this. Like, you know, Breath of the Wild is like the grand revolution of the Zelda franchise moving to an open world formula. And it's really captivated a lot of people, but I always, you know, as the, as the elder statesman here, <laughs> Like, I, I will never forget the hype going into the launch of the Nintendo 64 in Germany. It was a toy store not too far from where I went to school. And I remember getting going there to just, like, check out the news and what they knew about the N64 and the games and everything coming up. And there was, like, an 11-minute, 11 11- or 12-minute promotional VHS tape that uh, they were giving out to like a limited number of customers. And I was able to get a hold of it. And, and myself and a friend of mine, we would be, we would sit there and just rewind this tape over and over and over again, pouring over every single shot from the first batch of games that were coming. We're talking about like games that went on to be seminal classics. You know, Wave Race 64 was in that video, uh, Super Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, all of these games, and just like the little snippets of footage we could see from these games on this VHS tape. You know, I just I just wore out that VHS tape because the jump to 3D uh, in, in Zelda and Mario, both in particular, was as revolutionary as Zelda's move to open world with Breath of the Wild. I remember Ocarina of Time coming along and blowing the lid off of my imagination. It was absolutely incredible to see this, you know, top-down 2D franchise evolve into, like, fully playable 3D. And, like, they put the work in, man. It's, it's what I love most about Nintendo from that era. There were so many attempts of transitioning to 3D gameplay of various franchises um, and it just never quite stuck the landing. And then here is, you know, Nintendo really 
minding the details, you know, the the Z-targeting system of Ocarina of Time to make sure that you can quickly turn in the direction, you know, that you uh, that you need to face to, to face off against an enemy or something. Just because the new 3D space was really disorienting for long-time gamers at the time, and it took a little while to adjust to that, you know, style of gameplay. Um, they're just really the details that they focused on just to make it, you know, so playable and so much fun. And so... Um, I still revisit that game frequently. Uh, it's just, it's an absolute barn burner. And to, to hear you, you know, planning on making a deep dive into that, I know you're you're going to lack a little bit of the context of how mind-blowing this was at the time. But I think the core gameplay loop and 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 just like the, the core of the game, generally speaking, is just so strong that even today, I think it's going to shine through and you're going to find something to appreciate in that game. And Majora's Mask basically built on the same engine and even using like the same character models and stuff because it was developed in one year, like they developed the sequel in one year. And yet even there, it's just so cool and weird and different. And the gameplay loop is something completely different. Um, and the vibe of the game is so creepy and eerie and 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 just strange. Just alone for that, I think Majora's Mask still stands the test of time too. So the fact that you're diving into these games like N64 era uh, Nintendo, I think is incredibly special. Um, Although really the N64 kind of quote unquote lost the generation to like the PlayStation. um, I I think that like some of the stuff that Nintendo was doing at the time was, was so much fun and they took some interesting risks and they were the, they were the developer and the publisher that really like minded the details in the transition from from 2D to 3D in a way that even if um, you picked up a 3D game from them, you just knew that it was going to work. Whereas at the competition, many 3D games that you picked up just didn't work because you know the detail was just not minded as much as, as it was at Nintendo at the time. And so you know. PlayStation was a great system, and there's great games on there. But I, I really have a soft spot for the whole N64 era of Nintendo. They just did incredible work transitioning to 3D, Chris. Well, I think my other big experience with the N64 was my YMCA after-school club uh, with with Super Smash Brothers. And I know that's not one of your kind of go-tos, but... That that's that the whole format of the controller with the Z button on the back is like this. It, it was so revolutionary and and kind of to your point, I had the original PlayStation um, and didn't really continue on. We got a PS2 from a pawn shop years after um, I didn't really utilize it that much um, for for what it's worth. Like Nintendo has always kind of pushed the boundary and been that uncharted type of system um and sometimes it works and sometimes not so much r.i.p to the wii u never had one but um i i've i've heard good things about it but i i like i just remember how earth shattering it was for my family at least with the wii and you've got my my grandmother who hasn't given a rip about a video game since her divorce in the the 70s uh and she was playing miss pac-man on an outdated pc like she hasn't given a rip about a video game since then and she's there bowling with the entire family i'll just i'll just never forget that and then you go to now something like the switch where you have the portability 
and like broadcasting it to the television. That's just like so wild to me. And so Nintendo has always been one to kind of push boundaries and discover uncharted territory in gaming. All right, Dave. So your final Nerd Year's resolution for 2024. Yeah, it should not come as a surprise that this one is on my list, given uh, the 2023 I've had. <laughs> um, but I have I have started spending uh, a lot more time uh, writing again. And uh, it's definitely um, my intention to to amp that up further. It's uh, it's pretty undeniable that uh, the thing that I probably miss doing the most and that is the most difficult to fit into my current lifestyle is is writing. Um, however, it's also probably the thing that is <clears throat> the most intrinsic uh, in in my in my personality and in my character. It's the thing that I love doing the most, and writing as an activity has really shaped me as an individual over the years. So I just want want to, you know, I want to do more. You know, um, as hard as that is, it, it's going to be my goal in the new year to just write more. Um, that's probably going to take various forms. I really want to do a lot more. Um, you know, pop culture critique and writing for our website. I think um, it would be a lot of fun to spend a little bit more time, you know, deep diving some stuff uh, that I have a lot to say about. I uh, I think my uh, my review of the Marvels uh, got a decent reception from the people that visit our website, small audience though it may be. Um, and that's encouraged me a little bit to, to spend a little bit more time maybe uh, doing that. I also want, want to continue... Um, you know, doing some comic book work. Uh, I've been focusing really on short stories and I'll probably continue that for the time being. I have uh, a couple of really good uh, concepts and partial scripts for one shots that I eventually want to th- try to throw onto Kickstarter and see if I can get something put together there. Um, but I'm having a lot of fun writing, um, you know, short stories, uh, particularly uh, you know, my, my work with uh, with Schlepzig, uh over the last year has been a lot of fun. I've done a little bit more uh, horror-tinged things for the most part. Uh, all of the stuff that really was accepted was horror. So I don't know if, if, like, people are trying to tell me something and maybe I should just focus more on horror in my writing. I don't know. Maybe it's something that just clicks. Um, but that's been sort of the, the vast majority of things I've I've been writing that has actually been accepted in anthologies. And so my goal, I think over the next year is just uh, twofold. One, continue to, to chop away at like comic book short stories um, and, and kind of work my way up towards maybe doing a one shot. Uh, and, and finally just like really create some content for the nerd by word website and do a lot of reviews and pop culture critiques and the like. I, I think there's just a lot of fun to be had there and it keeps my, my writing it sharp, I guess, but just more writing. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Um, it's it's in, in in writing a couple of freelance articles for other websites. Like I had forgotten how much I had enjoyed it in my teens and twenties. Of I was even, um, you know, writing song lyrics, um, and I was writing you know poetry and things of that nature. I'd just forgotten how much I enjoyed that and how much of kind of a self expression that it can be. But um, I've kind of fallen off even even again uh, over the past year or so, but um, it's something that I should, if if my schedule clears enough, that that I would definitely like to take a look at at least writing for the website and doing possibly reviews or opinion pieces, um, 
but but certainly nothing on the level of of what you've got going because um you know it's 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 really admirable how and it, it's funny too i don't know about you but i think the kind of the life experience that i've i've had since i was really writing in in college and stuff and 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 late high school years is it's kind of informed my writing um even something as simple as a Ninja Turtle comic review um, can can be kind of fleshed out a little bit more based on on lived experience. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and and I wouldn't you know even say that there's any kind of particular level <laughs> to, to what I'm doing. Uh, the fact that I have you know been lucky enough to find artists who have been willing to work for me has been extremely nice. But uh, you know, I'm 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 small potatoes, and I'm happy to be small potatoes. Um, and hopefully maybe eventually thing, things will, you know, take off a little bit. I feel like I've spent an inordinate amount of time teaching other people how to write over the last decade and a half. And, you know, being able to focus on my own writing a little bit more is really a, a goal for me. And that brings us to your uh, final uh, nerd year resolution. Chris, what have you got? Yeah, so I want to get back into reading more comics. There are a few titles that I've followed regularly. I took about two months off it was the starfield effect i had so much fun playing that game where i wasn't keeping current with any of my regular comics um and then just to kind of get back in um we've talked about it on the show before but the the fall of x and the return to the quote-unquote status quo of of one of my favorite properties back to extinction level back to endless persecution and mistreatment. Like it's just not been the most inspiring, (laughs) not the greatest source of inspiration to get back into reading comics. But um, like I was telling, I may have said it on this show or may have said it in private conversations. It's like, there's too many good comics out there for me to just be so disheartened by Marvel's editorial. Um, And so I want to kind of fall back in love with comics. Uh, My attention has been kind of focused on reading these Rick Riordan books, like I previously mentioned, on playing video games. But um, I also need to just sit down and stop being so sporadic in my in my listening uh, or excuse me, in my reading. Uh, I need to finish the Walt Simonson Thor run that I've kind of dabbled with for the past couple of years. Um, I need to get to the JMS Thor run. I want to read some Friends um, and DeFalco Thor stuff. Uh, there's there's plenty of deep dives on characters that I'm interested in, on possibly teams that I'm interested in, and and just kind of fall back in love with this this medium that I love so much. I think I also kind of wiped myself out a little bit. I was kind of listening to you talk about the post crisis Superman stuff and. I read every issue of Amazing Spider-Man in history, and I read every spectacular Spider-Man. I read every mainline X-Men comic. So, I mean, most of my 20s were pretty consumed by exhaustive deep dives, and I think it kind of left me a bit a bit tapped out. And so I kind of want to kind of rekindle that magic when it comes to reading comics. And you know who can blame you? Like uh, it's it's like can can you ever actually read enough comic books? I would argue no. Um, it's just you're exactly right in that there are so many good things out there, um, 
and there's a really good thriving, you know, independency now these days. So you don't even have to really limit yourself to, you know, what the uh, what the the big two are doing with superheroes. There's just so much good stuff out there these days, and being able to keep up with all of that is not always easy. Um, so I will say. Uh, you know, I, since I talked about Superman already, obviously I have every intention to read more comic books as well, um, which is a good reason, I think, for me to start focusing more on um, audiobooks for my other stuff, <laughs> because uh, that that's how I'm going to find the time, I think, to uh, to read comic books more. Because if I were to sit down and try to read novels as well, that's just not going to fit in my schedule. All right, that wraps up our Byword Big Talk with our Nerd Year's resolutions for 2024. What say you? What are the things that you want to accomplish in the year to come? Hit us up on social media at Nerd by Word across basically every platform, perhaps even individually, that Nerd Dave and that Nerd Chris. But when we come back from this, our final break, we are hitting you with two more nerd commendations. <laughs> Welcome back to the fan favorite segment where we are enjoying things and we want to share that love with you. We call it Dave, let's go three for three. Let's go three for three because the uh, the final uh, 60th, 60th anniversary special uh, as of recording has just aired for Doctor Who. And after my my initial raving of the first special and having uh, David Tennant and Catherine Tate back, uh, you know, as Doctor Who and Donna Noble. And then the second special being this absolutely gloriously weird um, sort of bottle science fiction story that I absolutely adored. Uh, I have to say that they went three for three in that the third special is just as good in a different way, uh, bringing back a villain from the very first Doctor's run, believe it or not, in a totally interesting way and and recasting that villain with Neil Patrick Harris, which I'm just going to say great actor, but you know probably more famous for comedic stuff absolutely knocked it out of the park here as a villain so so good and creepy and weird and out there and so doctor who i really hope that this is not the last time uh, that we see him doing something on who because god he was just a perfect fit for this um the special had a, a very cool little story uh, a totally great ending for the um for the David Tennant version of the Doctor, uh, and of course featured a regeneration as we're getting a new Doctor now, the 15th, with, with Shuti Gatwa, which I absolutely cannot wait for. We we got a Christmas special coming up, The Church on Ruby Road, which is going to basically be the launching off point for this new interpretation of the Doctor. It's a very, very exciting time, I think. Uh, these three specials, in a lot of ways, have sort of... Uh, restored my faith a little bit in in the writing side of of doctor who a little bit um you know showing that you know having russell t davies back is is a good thing i think for the time being uh as kind of you know just bringing back these really weird strange out there sci-fi stories i think it's interesting also that uh the preview for the church on ruby road is showing that uh, the doctor is going to face off against goblins so we're actually dealing with like a little bit of stuff from the fantasy realm a little bit for the first time and that should have a very different sort of vibe i think um 
to what we've seen before with Doctor Who. I just think that there's a lot to be excited for right now. These three 60th anniversary specials uh, knocked it out of the park in my book. And so launching into a new Doctor Who era now with with that sort of being the the palate cleanser from the last few years and saying, hey, you know, we're 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 doing you know we're doing Doctor Who right. It feels a little bit like um, like the Force Awakens. You know, when when the Force Awakens came out, and it kind of was like, you know, the prequels weren't, you know, necessarily what people were looking for. But here is a story that is reminiscent of classic Star Wars, and and this is sort of what we're going to go for moving forward. Uh, that's kind of what the 60th anniversary specials did. I think there's very much a tonally. This is this is you know Doctor Who the way you love it, and and sending that message clearly with these three specials launching into. Uh, this new era of who, dude, it's just very exciting. And I highly recommend anybody who has a Disney Plus subscription uh, to check out all three of these specials because they're totally fun, weird little sci-fi stories and, and absolutely worth your time. Yeah, so I've been I've been enjoying like the discourse and the reception by fans because there's people all across the timeline who are enjoying this. And so I didn't want to commit to it and make it like third on my list or anything. Uh, for for our main segment, but I'm definitely intrigued um, if my schedule clears, man. I I would say I wouldn't even necessarily worry about going back and doing a deep dive. The wonderful thing about Doctor Who is that there's always time for that later. Every time a new Doctor comes along, it's really a reset in a lot of ways, and you're getting ready to launch into a whole new era with this with this Christmas Day special. So I think if you're really interested in giving Doctor Who a shot again, don't worry about the past. Let's charge into the future and just like check out that that hour long Christmas special and see if there's something about this new version of who that resonates. I think, uh, you know, that that's kind of what happened to me. You know, I, I jumped in with a new doctor, loved what I saw and then started working my way backwards. Uh, that's an absolutely valid way to go. All right, Chris, so uh, I am jealous. Let's just get that out of the way first, because you've seen it and I have not ha- I've not seen it yet. So go ahead uh, and please don't spoil me. <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest thing. I mean, um, big monster smashes. So spoiler. Um, no, man, I, I teased it earlier today, but Godzilla minus one is everything they say it is. And then some. Um, so if you have a chance while it's still in the theatrical release, um, I saw that they had extended it. It was supposed to only be for like a week in U.S theaters but they've extended the theatrical release i believe um because of of how well it's done and and the reception and it is absolutely well deserved it's now i think the the most successful um you know uh, release in in u.s history uh for a japanese made film which i I don't pretend to understand anything when it comes to box office numbers. Now you can make numbers, say anything you want to, especially with how pop culture review people have, have treated the Marvels. Like, I don't even know how to make heads or tails of, of what all this is. Uh, Apparently the budget's $15 million, but it's a very different, that's a very different kind of context when it comes to making things in Japan, I'm told. Um, But Nevertheless, all of that aside, this is an incredible film. You had told me before I saw this that Toho gets um, the human element of that. And you could not have said truer words here. Um, again, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything, but the human elements of this, I said it on social media. 
uh, crying in a Godzilla movie was not on my bingo uh, card. Like it's an absolutely incredibly human story that also features a big giant kaiju lizard who smashes cities like and it's just absolutely well done godzilla himself is such a badass in this movie like it's so so good he looks incredible his eyes are terrifying it's so good i mean being the history nerd that i am and kind of seeing this it's not necessarily like a reboot but it's kind of a return to it's it's almost like a love letter to at least what I've seen so far of the original 54 Godzilla. And um, it's just an absolutely incredible film. And the first chance that you get to see it, Dave, you have to. I, I can't deny that what American filmmakers have done with Godzilla in recent years has been infinitely better than the first American attempt to make a Godzilla movie, the old uh, 90s Roland Emmerich movie, um, which was <laughs> just not Godzilla. Um, so I think that there's been vast improvement on that side of the of, of the you know Pacific Ocean as far as what they're doing with the uh, with the property, but it is always to me at least the best policy to go back to Toho. Every time Toho makes a Godzilla movie, I just have to be there for it. You know, this is their property. This is the, these are the people that love this property the most. I would say, um, and you always get something interesting. Whether it's you know Godzilla is the good guy and is you know beating alien invaders back or going back to the original you know allegory of of godzilla as this destructive force of nature or you know tying into the 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 atomic bomb and the destruction of that um you always get something interesting from toho when it comes to godzilla i'm so very excited to see this movie chris and I, i just i really can't wait um my my time will hopefully come soon, and I'm just going. I'm just going to just like enjoy this to to no ex- just to no end. It's just Godzilla special to me, man. My dad and I always watched Godzilla movies together when I was a kid, and anytime I get a new Godzilla movie, it's just a good day for me. Absolutely, I can I can see why now. I see the vision, as the kids say. All right, that wraps episode 176 of the Nerd Byword. We thank you so much for riding along with us. We thank you for your support. If you like what you heard today, be sure to like and subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice, uh, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or nerdbyword.com. And speaking of nerdbyword.com, connect with us. You can, uh, you know, totally connect with us on social media at nerdbyword and individually at that nerd Dave and at that nerd Chris. But also keep an eye on our spiffy nerdbyword.com website, where you're going to see a lot of movement. I think in think in the upcoming year, uh, we're uh, very much aiming to increase content on our website as well. And uh, we have a very interesting experiment brewing. Uh, that you will hear more about on our website that I think is going to be very interesting for long-time listeners. So stay tuned. Interesting things in the works coming this year. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.